Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, beginning of verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we ask thee to be merciful unto us again this morning. Eternity is too short to sing thy praise. Oh, dear God, I pray that you would help us this morning. That our hearts would truly be inflamed for the love for Christ and his great sacrifice for us. Lord, my heart grieves for so many people who profess to know Christ yet know nothing of them who know nothing of the riches of his love and his mercy, who know nothing of his presence and of his joy. My Father, I pray that this morning you would speak to all of us. Lord, I pray for those that know not Christ, that, Lord, they might see and understand the goodness of God and Lazarus lying at the gates of the rich man how the goodness of God was before his eyes daily, and yet he rejected it and despised it, treasuring up wrath unto the day of wrath. Father, I pray, give us mercy and grace this morning to hear what the Spirit has to say to this church. We love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Beloved, there are a few things this morning in our text that require our immediate attention before we move on to examine more closely the cries and torments of the damned. Very few places in Scripture allow us a glance behind the curtain of eternity, and this is one of them, to see eternal destiny of man. But the truths I want to look at this morning are divine truths which are essential for us to understand if we are to not only know and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ more clearly and urgently, but also that we might more importantly, and I believe this is an aspect that many who attempt to preach the gospel forget, but to glorify God in proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. When we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, our desire is that men might hear and be saved. Yet our utmost desire must always be the glory of God. For many today in their blind zeal to preach the gospel have too often their own interest in mind in seeing the salvation of men's souls rather than the glory of God through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot, beloved, in a blind zeal, compromise, dilute, or change the gospel of Jesus Christ merely in hopes of seeing men make a mere profession, yet a false one. 
I'm reminded in this day and age, and please do not misunderstand me when I say this, but I'm reminded when the today with the war in Ukraine, it reminds me of when the Berlin Wall fell. When that wall fell, I was in Germany, and America sent countless missionaries over into East Germany in hopes of making some kind of a win, if I may use the word, to proclaim the gospel. And I know that God gives us the ability and also in His providence allows us to use such tragedies for the preaching of the gospel, but many went over there with the wrong motive. God give us grace to preach the gospel in hopes that men might hear and be saved, but let us never forget it's to the glory of God we preach the gospel and not for our own interest, not merely to see men profess a vain and empty profession of faith, but they might truly be saved. For because the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been so perverted, countless people today possess a false hope of salvation. A false profession which is so firmly embedded in their hearts and minds that they refuse to believe they have been deceived. I pray for those who use these tragedies and torments of war that God would use them to preach the gospel but not merely to see men out of fear make a false profession. I pray that the power of God would be evidenced in saving their souls truly and converting them to Christ. Because the true gospel of Jesus Christ is the only power to break through such self-deception. For it alone is the power of God unto salvation. And I hope and pray that we all understand that. So this morning, I want us to look at a few things that I'm I pray God would help us to understand more thoroughly the gospel, more clearly the gospel, so that when we go out and proclaim the gospel, it is God's glory that we first and foremost seek. And in seeking that glory, we hope and pray that men would call men unto himself. So first of all, this morning, I want you to notice something which one might quickly overlook. And yet, it is a divine truth which is of the utmost importance in verse 20. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. I do not believe that Lazarus, by chance, was led to lay at this rich man's gate. I believe in Christ proclaiming this parable or story, whichever you choose to believe. I believe Christ was telling us and letting us know that Lazarus laid at the gates of this rich man by the divine providence of God. The positioning of Lazarus, a beggar full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, beloved, must not go unnoticed. For though Lazarus' condition was very sore and sorrowful sight to look upon, 
Yet it was the unmerited mercy and grace of God which sovereignly and providentially placed him there. Yet the rich man was blind to it by his love of worldly pleasures and riches. Lazarus lying at his gate, the Bible says, <clears throat> was a providential act of God. And we as believers, I pray this morning, would understand that God uses His divine providence to bring people into our lives and into the lives of sinners that He might display His goodness. The rich man was blind by his love of worldly pleasures and riches that he never even noticed Lazarus at his gate. I believe Lazarus was not only a condemnation of his love of worldly riches, but also a testimony of God's goodness and mercy. Allow me to let Scripture speak for itself this morning. Because like I said, this is a truth that many might quickly overlook. Lazarus was the testimony of God's goodness and mercy. Yet one, if denied and rejected, would turn out to be a greater condemnation to the rich man. Isn't that not what the gospel is? Did not Paul said, we are a savior unto life and the sum and a savior unto death unto others? He was talking about the gospel. He says every time the gospel's preached, God will either use it to call his own to himself or the gospel will one day rise up in judgment and condemn the sinner. The gospel is a two-edged sword. Lazarus was laid at the gates of this rich man by the sovereign providence of God's goodness. And yet the rich man was blind. Over in Matthew chapter 25, Please keep in mind as we go through this, these are instructions the Lord gives us in how we should preach the gospel. Because every man, woman, and child in this world experiences, let me take that back, the goodness of God is revealed to every man, woman, and child in this world. Does He not let the sun rise and fall upon all? Does He not let the rain fall upon the good and the righteous, the goodness of God? is everywhere to be seen. Look at Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. He's talking about those on the sheep and the goats. Look what he says about the ones on his left. Now listen to the words of God. Verse 41 of Matthew 25. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Sounds like hell to me. For I was a hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in naked, and you clothed me not sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Sounds like Lazarus. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? These are the ones that's done great and mighty works in the name of the Lord. You remember? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as you did it not to one of these, one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. You see how the Lord said, Because you did not feed, did not clothe them, 
did not help them, did not visit them in prison, because you didn't do it to them, you did it to me. Now, I want, while I'm while I'm reading the ver- these verses, I also want to emphasize the point because I'm not going to stick on that. The importance of us as God's people not forgetting the poor. It's biblical. And I hope and pray we see that by the end of the day in the context of what we're reading. But Christ here says, because you did not those, they did mighty works. They said, we did mighty works in your name. The Lord said, yeah, but you didn't visit the poor. You didn't give them that were hungry food. You didn't clothe them that were naked. You didn't visit me in prison. You didn't bind up my wounds. You didn't do it to your fellow mankind. Therefore, you did it not unto me. Sounds like Lazarus and a rich man. Look over in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Notice those are the first six commandments that deal with man. He didn't mention anything about the four that deal with God. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up thy cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. What did the Lord say? Sell everything you got, and do what? Give it to the poor. What should have the rich man done? He should have sold all he got, give to Lazarus. You see, you see the language of the text here? You see the language of Scripture? Sounds like a Lazarus and a rich man. He wanted to inherit eternal life. A lot of people reading that say he wanted he wanted salvation. He didn't want salvation. He wanted to inherit eternal life. Why? Because he wanted to keep his riches forever. He didn't want to part with them. That's what it is. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not looking for salvation. And the evidence is seen in the Lord saying, Well, go sell all that you got, give the poor, come and follow me. And he went, went away grieved or sad and went away grieved. Why? Because he wanted eternal life so that he should never depart from his riches and his pleasures. He wanted to keep them forever. He had no desire for salvation. He just wanted to keep his riches forever. And what does the Lord tell him to do? Give it to the poor. Lazarus at the gate of this rich man every day was preaching the same message to the rich man that Christ did to this young man as well as to those on the right hand in Matthew 25. Lazarus is a type of the goodness of God, even to the vilest of sinners. How is that possible? Stay with me a few more minutes. I want you to understand this. Proverbs 19.17 says this. Proverbs 19:17 He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto who the Lord He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord 
You beginning to understand why God sovereignly, providentially put Lazarus at his gate? He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Proverbs 28, 27 says, He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Do you see Lazarus as a type of the goodness and mercy of God providentially laid before the gates of the rich man? I'm tired of theologians fighting over election and predestination and infra and superlapsarianism and if God's able to do this or that. I'm telling you Lazarus was a type of the goodness and mercy of God that God laid before the gates of this rich man. I'm getting ahead of myself because he did not see it. Because, like Proverbs said, he hid his eyes. Lazarus enhanced his condemnation, increased his judgment. Because he that desired in this present life merely the crumbs would now be the one the rich man desires. He would have a drop of water upon his tongue. He doesn't ask Abraham to bring it. He asks Lazarus. Because he knew in eternity, he knew in hell what he had done. Send Lazarus. Why not send Abraham? Wouldn't you want Abraham to do that? But no, he understood it. Lazarus laid at my gate every day. Every day the goodness of God was at my very gates. And I rejected it. I ignored it. And now I'm asking him to have mercy on me. I'm telling you, if you're lost without Christ, a Lazarus is laid before your gates every day of your life. And if you ignore and reject the goodness of God, you treasure up wrath against wrath against the day of wrath. And if you're sitting on the preacher, you have more of the preaching, you have more than a Lazarus. What condemnation shall ye receive if ye ignore and reject the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance? We don't let the world know the urgency of them rejecting God. Oh, well, they're lost. They don't have the ability to reject God because they're just going to die in their sins. I'm tired of that argument. I'm telling you, you don't know the urgency. You don't know the significance. You don't know the dangers of rejecting the goodness of God, which you experience every day of your life, every time the sun rises, every time the rain falls, every time you take a breath of air, every time your heart beats. That's a Lazarus. That's a goodness of God, and you reject and despise that. This is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is one of urgency. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. If God gives you tomorrow, it's because of His grace and mercy, but He's not obligated to give you tomorrow. He's not obligated to give you another second. Every breath you take, every heartbeat you have is a goodness of God. presence of Lazarus lying at the rich man's gate and the sin of hiding his eyes to his poverty and pain would prove to greatly increase his condemnation and torments in hell. For Lazarus was no common beggar. But Scripture would have us to know he was one of extreme poverty and pain. Listen how the Scripture deprives or describes his poverty. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. That would have been enough. 
which was laid his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The Lord would have us understand Lazarus was not a common beggar. He was one of extreme poverty and pain. The Bible says he laid at his gate, implying his great weakness. He didn't stand, he laid because of his sores. His being weak, being hungry. He was full of sores. He desired merely the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. He wasn't looking for any more than that. Merely the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. Moreover, the Scripture declares, and that word means beyond that and even further, it's as though the Lord wants to enhance His poverty and His soreness and His being a beggar. And moreover, beyond that and even further, the dogs came and licked His sores. This was more than merely a common beggar. This was one that was beyond common. And every day, Lazarus would be at his gate. And I believe with all my heart, every day, the rich man knew he was there. How could he not know he was there? And every day, as he fared sumptuously in his riches and his wealth, he looked at Lazarus and ignored him and rejected him and hid his eyes. People come to church and they hear the gospel. And they see the Lazarus in Christ because I'll show you in a minute Lazarus was a picture or a type of Christ. They hear Christ preached. They hear of the goodness and mercy of God in Christ. And yet, they, like the rich man, they continue living their lives, ignoring the Lazarus that lie at the gates of their hearts. He that hideth his eyes to the poor, he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Over in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Listen to what James says in light of the rich man and Lazarus. James chapter 5, verse 1, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Sounds like the rich man. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who you have reaped down your fields which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. You have lived in pleasure on the earth. Later on, Abraham reminds of that. You've had your joy and pleasure. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. That was the rich man. You say, well, I don't have to worry about that. I'm not rich. You live your life. You enjoy the pleasures the world gives you. You eat and you drink. You breathe as air. 
you see his creation. Some of you even hear the preaching of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. You nourish your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Yet, beloved, let it not believe that though the rich man had fed Lazarus with a great feast. Listen to me. Though the rich man had fed Lazarus with a great feast and clothed him with his own purple and fine linen, and though he bound all his sores and gave him the half of his riches, these acts of benevolence, beloved, would never have saved his soul. By the works of the law shall no man be justified. Right? So even though he would have, you say, well, isn't that what you've been emphasizing? If the rich would just give to the poor, they'd be saved? No. That isn't, isn't even what the Lord was emphasizing, that works save a man. And I'm not emphasizing that. Not at all. For by the works of the law shall no man be justified. What are we saying, what are we saying then? Well, Lazarus, poverty, was like under the law. The law of God is the one that said, forget not the poor. Right? So Lazarus is like the law of God, which should have been a schoolmaster, Galatians said, which should have brought him to Christ that he might have been justified by faith. Lazarus was merely, or should have merely been a schoolmaster. Not redemption, a schoolmaster. He should have seen Lazarus, understood what he was doing, what he was, what he was in himself, his riches, and it should have been a schoolmaster that led him to Christ. That's what Lazarus was. Lazarus wasn't of himself a way to salvation. Lazarus and his poverty was merely a schoolmaster. For Paul said himself in Galatians 3, the law is a schoolmaster which leads us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. That's what Lazarus was. And yet the rich man closed his eyes. He hid his eyes to that. sinful man hides his eyes to the providence of God. You mean what it be in the providence of God? What I like about excuse me, what I like about <clears throat> this time of the year when uh, days are shorter, longer, whatever you want to call them, I like to come over here and I'll sit when the sun comes up and we got you know, about three or four big huge trees out there and the sun starts coming up, you see the silhouette of the trees and the sunlight beaming through, the morning dawn rising. When you wake up every morning and see that sun, it's the goodness of God. You know, too often Christians... And I'll just touch on this for a moment. Too often Christians don't take out time for meditation. I mean serious meditation. Get along with Scripture, a few psalms or hymns. Read Scripture, sing a psalm or hymn alone, privately, and pray. David says, when I behold the stars and the moon. And what was David doing? David was looking at the creation of God. We're so busy in our days that we don't take time out for that. David said, when I see these things, 
Psalms 19, and we'll look at that in a minute, says, The heavens declare the glory of God and affirm His handiwork. How can you know that if you don't see it? There's something about God's creation that we can learn from. Amen? I've said it here before, but I'll say it again. I, In Germany, in the fields behind the apartment, when I first met my wife and first got saved, behind their apartment fields, her grandma lived on the eighth floor, seventh floor. And uh, I'd go in the back fields during the summertime and take walks before church and meditate and think about the Lord. And uh, I wasn't preaching yet. And I'd go out in the back of the field, and I think it was sparrows. I'm not sure exactly what kind of bird it was, but there was a lot of these small birds, looked like sparrows. And the sun wouldn't quite be up yet. You just see it, you know, coming up, barely coming up. And that, and those birds would start flying upwards in circles. And they just go like that, singing all the way up. And then when they reach the sunlight, because it hadn't hit the ground yet, when they reached the sunlight, they'd stop. And they'd flitter like this, looking towards the sun. And I, you can say what you want to, but I guarantee you that creature was worshiping the Creator. And I thought, that bird's got more sense than most mankind. And then he'd come back down, then he'd go back up. And he'd reach that sunlight. You could tell the sunlight hit him because it kind of reflected off. He'd stand there and just for a few seconds and just... The creation's got more sense than mankind. The goodness of God is all around us. Paul says in him we live and move and have our being in the book of Acts. He's not far from any of us, he said. That's the goodness of God. And yet, like the rich man, people hide their eyes to it. Lazarus was even a type or a picture of Christ. Do you know that? In many ways, that was a picture or a type of Christ laying at the gates of Lazarus. And again, I'll let Scripture speak for me. First or Second Corinthians eight nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know it? Second Corinthians eight nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I'm telling you, Lazarus was a picture, a type of Christ lying at the gates of this rich man. And yet he hid his eyes to it. The rich man despised the riches of the goodness and forbearance and long-suffering of God. Romans 2, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after his hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto himself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You know what Peter said? Peter said, if one is not converted by the gospel or heard the truth of God, it were better that that man or woman or child had never been born. Because to have heard the truth of God, to have heard the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, to have a Lazarus lying before the very gates of your heart and deny and reject him brings greater torment.
Proverbs 21:13 said, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, listen to this. Very important, Proverbs 21:13. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. In hell he lifted up his eyes in torment and cried. In this present life, dearly beloved, there was a gate between them. The Bible signifies a gate. He laid at his gate. In this present life, there was a gate between them. A straight and narrow gate. You follow me? Yet now in eternity, there's a great gulf fixed, which no man could pass. You see, while there was a gate, it might have been straight and narrow, but it was passable from one side to the other. Are you following me? From one side to the other, it was passable. The rich man could have come down to Lazarus and clothed him and fed him and, and, and bound up his wounds. But now there's a great gulf, and Abraham says it's fixed. It can't be moved. And he said, no man can pass. My friend, there might be a Lazarus lying at your gate. Or there might not be a literal Lazarus lying at your gate. But there is, like I said earlier, the sun on your face, the moon and stars in heaven, the rain that falls day unto day. Utter speech, not in the night, showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Psalm 19. But God is speaking to you every day in His goodness of keeping you merely alive. The very air you breathe, every beat of your heart, all these things, my friends, are more than Lazarus lying at the gate of your heart. So all these things are the goodness and mercy of God. Yet the rich man hit his eyes to it. You see, this is part of the gospel when we preach the gospel. When we preach the gospel like a Lazarus, we lie at the gates of the sinner and we describe and we explain to them how God is good to them in spite of all they are and what they're doing and that it's because of the goodness of God they have what they have and yet they need eternal salvation. They need Christ. Christ, in the Gospel of Mark, asked an impossible question that no mortal man could ever answer. He asked a twofold question. He asked, what shall it profit a man? What's he going to gain? The rich man. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall it profit him? In the beginning of the story, Christ called him the rich man. When he was in hell, Christ didn't call him anything. He just called him he. He. In the world, he might have been rich, but in eternity, he's nobody. He's nothing. 
you see his denying and rejecting what was at his very gates is what enhanced and increased his torments. And I want to get into that next week because I believe that's important for us to understand as God's people the reality of eternal torments and the reality of eternal hell, the reality of God's wrath and judgment. I believe too, too many Christians are not aware of that. They're they're not aware of the reality of that. And I believe that if we're ever going to preach the gospel, we need to preach it with a reality and, a, and an understanding that it's real and it's genuine. How shall you plead for someone? How shall you beseech someone, like Paul said, to come unto Christ if you are not aware of what awaits them if they die without Christ? What shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange or ransom for his soul? There's no amount of treasure or riches in the world that is more valuable, more priceless than a man's soul. And there's no amount of ransom equivalent in this world to ransom his own soul. And Christ is the only one that has the authority. <laughs> and Christ is the only one who knows the value of a soul because he paid for it. You want to know what the value of your soul is? Your eternal soul is the death of the Son of God. Nothing short of that. Again, I like the old hymns. Let me read this in closing. What shall the dying sinner do that seeks relief for all his woe? Isaac Watts. Where shall the guilty conscience find ease for the torment of the mind? How shall we get our crimes forgiven or form our natures fit for heaven? Can souls all o'er defiled with sin make their own powers and passions clean? In vain we search, in vain we try till Jesus brings his gospel nigh. Tis there such power and glory dwell as save rebellious souls from hell. This is the pillar of our hope that bears our fainting spirits up. We read the grace, we trust the word, and find salvation in the Lord. Let men or angels dig the mines, what nature's golden treasure shines. Brought near the doctrine of the cross, all nature's gold appears but dross. Should vile blasphemers with disdain pronounce the truths of Jesus vain. I'll meet the scandal and the shame and sing in triumph in his name. <coughs> Let me close with these with these words in Luke. <coughs> Excuse me, Luke chapter sixteen. Because this series leads up <coughs> to this part of the text next week. Let me begin in verse nineteen and I'll read. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared simplest every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the sores. That's his present life. Now watch how the Holy Spirit words this in verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried and the rich man died. And it came to pass. Well, preacher, what's the significance of that? 
Do you know where the first time this expression is written in Scripture? Genesis chapter 4. You don't find it before Genesis chapter 4. Why? Because, and it came to pass regards to time and death. Before Genesis 4, there was no time. No death, remember? The Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, for the first time you hear the word, and it came to pass. Suddenly, time and death has entered into man's life. Let me tell you something. It will come to pass that you and I, if the Lord don't return, will die. It'll come to pass. Genesis 4 says, and in the process of time it came to pass. That changed everything for both of these people. Lazarus just whipped away in the arms of Abraham. Doesn't even say anything about a grave or being buried. It says Abraham was buried. There was no burial for Lazarus. He's whipped away by the angels immediately. Charles told me yesterday, he said, yeah, we're talking about death and how close he is to it. And he says, you know, he said, as soon as I die, as soon as I die, as soon as my heart stops, I'm going to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body, he said, is to be present with the Lord. He said, that's how quick, Brother Adi, it's going to take. It's going to be. I said, I know, in a twinkling in a eye. <laughs> He's carried off into the bosom of Abraham. Yet in that same moment, the rich man is cast into hell. And it came to pass. I pray that you would, if you know not Christ, I pray that you would meditate and think about the story of the rich man and Lazarus because you have many Lazarus before you already, no matter how old you are. <clears throat> You children ought to be blessed, you know that? You say, why? You're born into a family of faithful believers. What an honor that is. You know what privilege God has given you? You know the height of that responsibility? You know how many kids out there are born into a family where their fathers are drunkards? Their mothers are drug addicts and they don't care about God or anybody else. God providentially, sovereignly allowed you to be born and birthed into a family of believers. What a privilege that is. Yet I beg of you not to dishonor that privilege and ignore it. But embrace it by seeking the face of Christ. Oh, may God give us grace. And may he teach us even more how to preach the gospel more thoroughly and clearly with urgency, compassion, and love, and patience, and forbearance, always seeking the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Then shall we see the salvation of souls, because it is his gospel which is alone the power of God unto salvation. May God give us grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you've led us already through this passage of Scripture. And Father, you've led us up to this passage of Scripture where now, by thy grace, next week, you willing, Father, we'll take a glance behind the curtains of this present life into eternity. 
what mind can fathom, the blessings that Lazarus had in the bosom of Abraham. And yet, Lord, what mind can also fathom the torments of the rich man in hell? Father, I pray that you'd help us to learn from this, that we might preach the gospel more effectively. May you be honored and glorified, Father. Help us, guide us, direct us. May you be with those this morning that's amongst us that know not Christ. Lord, I pray the Spirit of God would work mightily in their hearts, revealing unto them Christ and their need of Him. And may the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ bring them unto salvation. Father, we love you and we thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.